You're listening to the Great Recruiter Training Podcast. Here we go. Hosted by industry expert, trainer, and motivator, Scott Love. You're listening to episode number six of the Great Recruiter Training Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me again. In our business, because of the complexity of it all, if it's not one thing, it's something else. You spend a lot of time working on your sales strategy, you fine-tune your tactical components of selling, you get a new client, and what happens, you spend a lot of time recruiting for them and they never call you back. Or if they call you back, it's usually the day after the candidate accepted a position with another job. And once they finally call you, well, then they miss the interview and then they finally hire your candidate and then they say, well, we're not going to pay you or we're gonna, we want to break it into terms or, well, we've been thinking. We, and you know, you know how it is. If it's not one thing, it it seems to be something else. There's a lot of complexity with what should be a simple business, and the reason for that is because you have two separate sides that you have to sell to, the candidate side and the client side. This is the only sales profession where your product can actually back out and say no. So I've seen a lot of search firms that have done well, and the word I get from people in the industry right now is that things are optimistic. Things are starting to pick up, not to the pace that we'd like to see. But companies that have been holding back are starting to invest a little bit more in hiring exceptional people, which means paying fees. So what happens, though, if you have a client that says, you know what, we're happy to work with you. You We know that we're a brand new client of yours, and this is what we're looking for. Call us when you get candidates. Let's just say that you get a new client. You work hard. You finally get a new client, and they turn out to be a loser client. What if you could be like Superman and spin the world in the opposite direction and go back in time and start all over again? You know, you finally get to the end of the process where you're putting candidates in front of them and they're not calling you back. How could you go back in time and look at what those indicators would be that would tell you whether or not they're going to be a good client? That's the first thing we're going to cover on today's podcast. The second thing is going to be an in-depth overview of how do you deal with human resources. Once you develop a new client, if they say you have to work with HR, well, then probably the best thing to do is find out the best way to work with HR. Everything is a case-by-case scenario. I'm going to show you how you can turn that relationship with human resources into your advantage. In fact, I'm going to put the entire recording of a free webinar that I did probably about nine months ago on this so that you can listen to this over and over again and get some tips that will help you to work effectively with those people in human resources. So first, let's look at what those indicators are of a bad client. Anytime I have a new client there's always an element of risk with that. I'm always very reluctant to spend a lot of time working with a new client because of the risk involved. Contingency recruiting is a risk management business. I've worked in both sectors. I've done contingency and retained. One is not better than the other. The advantage of retained is that you know that you're going to get paid. At least your research is going to get paid. The company that you're working with, they have skin in the game, so the odds are high that they're going to be a willing and eager participant in the process, although that's not a guarantee. I've had several clients over the years that have flaked out even after they pay me retainers or they put the position on hold or whatever. On a contingency search, you have even more risk because there's no loyalty that the client has to you except an emotional loyalty. They haven't had any sort of commitment other than telling you that they will hire people from you. So the risk is even greater. So you need to manage your time effectively by looking at contingency recruiting as a risk management business. And so one of the things that we do in risk management professions, we look for indicators of risk. One of the things I do I always test any new client that I have, not by presenting them a candidate and seeing what they do, but by sending them an email. If I And here's an example. There was a client that I talked with. I was trying to recruit the managing partner of a firm, and he said, you know what, Scott, I'm, I'm actually happy where I'm at. We're actually looking for the same person that you're recruiting for. So I turned it into a search assignment. I, I found out more about what they're looking for. I took the specs of the search. We got the fee agreed to. And he said, when you find a good candidate, let's authorize the fee agreement later on. Now, if it's going to be an organization that I'm going to spend time recruiting on behalf of, then I'm not going to spend a a single hour of my time or a minute of my time unless I have a signature that says they will pay me a fee. But because of the fact I've got another firm that's my core client, I'm okay with calling him if I get other candidates. How many times am I doing the research and the recruiting? Just once. How many times do I have a chance to make a placement? Twice, because I've got two clients. So my next objective is to get another client looking for the exact same animal. So whenever you do contingency search, you want to find three organizations in the same city 
looking for the exact same person. That way you mitigate your risk and you've tripled your odds of making a placement. How many times have you had a company that, that's hired you to do a search where you spend all the time recruiting, you present candidates, and they say, well, we already filled the position. That's why you need to insulate yourself from risk by doubling up or tripling up on the clients that you have looking for that one search that you're recruiting on. So the second company, or the second firm that I'm working with, I'm okay that we don't have a signature. But what I want to do, I want to test the relationship so far. It's a brand new client. That was the only time I'd ever talked with him. I'd never had a conversation before him. I'd never had a conversation before that with him, so there was no relationship. So instead of spending a lot of time in recruiting on something and then presenting a candidate and seeing what they're doing, instead, send them an email. If you send them an email, I wanted to get clarification. Can you respond? And then see what they do. If they don't get back with you, well, we don't know what that means. All we know is that it doesn't seem to be a high priority for them. Or maybe they've already filled it. Maybe they didn't like you. We don't know. So at that time, I would send out another email or even a phone call. You want to do things that mitigate your risk, that give you an indication of the strength of that client's commitment to hiring someone from you before you even spend time working on that. Now, like I said, if this was the only client looking for this type of person, I would definitely get a signature. I would definitely arrange another telephone call to spend about 20 or 30 minutes with them, finding out more about the opportunity. I wanted to get a commitment of time. But because of the fact this is another by-the-way client that I have, I'm okay with that. But I want to make sure by sending out the email that I get a response so that way I know it's a real deal. And sure enough, I got a response from him, so I felt pretty good about that. But there's about 15 indicators that you can look at that tell you whether or not this is a good client to have in terms of risk. The first one is this. Has the organization that's given you the search, have they worked with search firms in the past? If they have, then you know how they play the game. If they haven't, then you run the risk of them saying, well, we thought the candidate paid for the fee. The second indicator is, are they trying to negotiate your fee below a certain level that's acceptable for the industry? If they tell you that they're working with search firms at 12 and 15% fees, I don't know about that company. What are the problems they're going to have in the future? If they're trying to negotiate you to a, a sub-satisfactory level right now, what's going to happen later on as you work with them and trying to collect your fee? The third indicator is, have you had any sort of history with them in the past? Best case scenario, you've placed people in their company, they've paid you on time, and they love you. Second best case scenario is you've presented candidates to them that they've interviewed but they haven't hired. The third best case scenario is you know those people. You've talked with them before. Maybe you presented candidates to them, but they haven't interviewed them. But at least there's some sort of relationship. The fourth indicator is when you ask them, what steps have you taken so far to fill the position? They say nothing. It's a brand new search. If they've given it out to multiple search firms, then of course, we all know what happens. You run a risk of those other search firms beating you to the punch, and you spend all the time working on it and have nothing to show for it. The fifth indicator of a good search is you can get an exclusive. Now, if you're a member of my coaching club, you can go into the archive of past webinars and find specific verbiage on what to tell clients to give you an exclusive. In fact, if you look at the coaching club archive, because uh, for all the coaching club calls, I record those. It the, it's the one that was on November 9th. That's when I give the word-for-word -word verbiage on how to sell an exclusive or even a retainer. So if you're a member of the site, go into it, look under the archive for the past coaching club uh, recordings and listen to the one that is dated on November 9th and you'll hear word-for-word -word verbiage on how to sell exclusives. If you're not a member of the coaching club, click on the link on my site that says coaching club and it'll walk you through and tell you exactly how much it costs and what you get. The seventh indicator of a good client is that when you ask them what their urgency level is, they say it's a high priority. Now there's two questions you can ask your client. The first one is this, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning it's critical search, where would you rank the priority level for this position? And of course, the ones you want to work on are an 8, 9, or a 10. The second question you ask is this. So if I had to prioritize my desk, and if I was to rank which searches are most important to my clients, what you're telling me, does that mean that I should clear my desk off of all of my existing clients and put your search ahead of all of those? And they're either going to say, oh, no, you don't need to do that for us, or they're going to say, yes, absolutely, that would be great if you could do that for us. The eighth indicator of a good search when you ask them how many candidates they've seen so far, they say, we haven't seen anybody yet. It's brand new. The ninth indicator of a good search is that you're dealing directly with the final decision maker. The person that signs your agreement is the person that your primary point of contact is. The tenth indicator of a good search is that you have a signed agreement. They've agreed to the fee, and you have documentation that says so. And, 
the 11th indicator is that you're not dealing with human resources. You're working directly with the person that feels the pain from the open position. Now, if you have to work with HR, listen to the next segment here of this podcast, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to do to make that a good situation. The 12th indicator of a good search is that you have clearly defined expectations of communication, and they're okay with everything. That means that you said, this is what I need to expect from you, and they're okay with that. The 13th indicator of a good search is that they've agreed to meet with the candidate after they turn their notice in. So when the candidate turns their notice in, you want to have a client that agrees to continue to build that relationship with the candidate after the notice has been given so that the candidate doesn't go back and take a counteroffer. The 14th indicator of a good search is that you've made guarantees dependent upon prompt payment. You can solve all of your problems in terms of payment and slow paying clients when you have a phrase on your agreement that says, we offer a conditional guarantee based upon payment within 10 days of the candidate's start date. If you have that on there and you tell your clients about that and they're okay with that, and if they're not, you can negotiate terms on that. But if you put that on there, you will have clients that will FedEx you the check within 10 days of the candidate start date, you'll get that. And it's pretty exciting. And the final indicator of a good search is a client has cleared off time in his calendar to interview candidates. So when you set the expectations up front, you set a target date. When do we want to have the interviews take place? Well, tell me, what is your calendar looking like that week? Can you clear off Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon? And we'll set that as our target for when the, when the interviews will take place for the candidates. So remember, your primary job as a recruiter is to maximize a return for your time. You can use those 15 indicators to tell you which clients have the best risk and are the best clients for you to work with. If you've been in the business longer than a month, you've encountered HR. And this is where a lot of folks get stuck. They get frustrated with human resources because they find that it doesn't go anywhere. They just they, they get frustrated with that. And so a lot of recruiters, they get really upset. And the culture in our industry is that we hate HR. They're a bunch of mouth-breathing morons. They can't do anything right. That if you're not any good in a corporation, you put them to HR. And I'm going to share some things with you that are a little bit different, and it's going to challenge that myth. And what I want you all to do is kind of consider this from an open mind. This is what I've learned in the 13 years I've been in the business and the five years I've been training. I've seen different types of search firms and staffing agencies all over the country. I've worked with companies that do high-level retainer search work, high-level contingency, a mix of direct hiring temp, and I've got one client in Tennessee, a regional staffing firm that's all temp, so I'm consulting to them on their sales process. So I've seen this business all different ways, and the conclusion that I came to that whatever question you have about should I do this or should I do that, the answer always starts with these two words. It depends. It depends. There's so many ways to do this business. Some firms, their model, like I was in Richmond with an engineering firm, a consulting firm yesterday that does engineering recruiting, and they're dealing with a lot of large companies, so they have to deal with HR. They're doing mid-level positions, 50 to 70,000, and that's their model, and that's the reality, is that most of the companies that they're dealing with are large enterprises that have a lot of infrastructure, which is a nice way of saying there's some bureaucracy, because you have to have that. You have to have systems and measurements and, and protocols in place to onboard lots of people all at once to minimize your risk and make sure that you're getting good skill sets in place. So the reality is, with those big companies, there has to be an HR department. If you work in a model where you have a lot more malleability in terms of where you're going to play. Can you work with large companies or small companies? Smaller companies is best because then you're dealing directly with the owner or an executive, and they don't have the infrastructure or the bureaucracy in place. So if there's an HR person, usually it's one or two people, and they don't have the time to deal with everybody that they're hiring. So I'm going to share with you some concepts to be able to go around HR if you have to, and if you can't, how do you build a relationship with human resources that gets them to call you first now you've got an advocate. What is the attitude you need to have when dealing with HR? We're going to start with that. And the attitude is surprising. As I'm thinking about this, my initial reaction is, what's the attitude you should have? I'm the, I'm the search consultant, and you do what I say. And the more I thought about that, I'm like, have I ever had a successful HR relationship like that? No, I haven't. I've been into some of these departments. I had, I've been, about a year and a half ago, I was invited to do training for a Fortune 500 company for their internal HR department, the internal recruiters, and there's a team of about 10 internal recruiters. Some of them came from our industry, 
And one thing that we always joke about, oh, if they couldn't make it in third-party recruiting, they go in-house. And, and I don't know if that's what we should really say. I don't, I don't think that our attitude should be uh, looking down on those folks. And the reason I say that is this, is that what goes around comes around. You know, whatever you think about with other people is going to get back to you. If, you. if you have a problem with confidence, it becomes overconfidence, which becomes arrogance, which is just a cover-up for insecurity. If you've ever heard any of my webinars, I always say that recruiting, it's a, it's a personal development opportunity disguised as a job. And I really believe that because the character that you have, how you think, what your values are, how you feel about yourself and how you communicate to other people, that contributes directly to how they respond. And how they respond to us is exactly what we're in the business of. How can we be a professional influencer to get those people to comply with what we want so we can serve them? So the attitude in dealing with human resources is that you've got to balance different outcomes, different agendas. You have to balance the agenda of client control, quote-unquote, because we all know we can't control clients. We have to balance that agenda. Plus, we also have to balance the agenda of getting the business, plus dealing with the fee that's acceptable to us, plus having someone that's going to cooperate with us. So in terms of the attitude and how to deal with HR, I'm going to challenge you all to think of it this way. Servanthood, leadership. If you think of the concept of leadership, I think that summarizes our business completely because we have to lead other people to a decision that benefits them. What's interesting about leadership is that you think about leadership, people think, oh, a general in the army, you know, Pat, someone like that. And no, 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 think Mother Teresa. That's leadership. Leadership has nothing to do with ego. You take your ego out of it. I do a lot of consulting on leadership. I do keynotes on leadership, and the reality is that a leader wants to be invisible. You want the team to say, we did this ourselves. How it relates in the sales model is, I want you to think that you're in control, and I want you to feel good about working with me, and I want you to say thank you to me first after we complete our transaction. That's the ultimate outcome of every salesperson. So the attitude in dealing with HR is servanthood. How can I help you get what you want? But we also have to balance that with our confidence. We also have to balance that with humility and respect. So when you're talking with that HR person, and I, I will admit, I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of having an attitude with them of arrogance, overconfidence. You know, you're so lucky to be talking to me is what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. And you know what? Part of that's true. The reality is you are lucky to be talking with me. That's what you're thinking because I can help you. A professional that's good at what he does, knows he's good, and it doesn't matter what other people think. When you're good at what you do, it doesn't matter what other people think. Insecurity is having to tell everybody that you're good. When you're confident, confidence and humility can peacefully coexist. When you really know that you can provide value to other people, then you don't need to be tooting your own horn. I hired a guy a long time ago that, you know, he, he said, I'm going to teach you the art of embellishment, and I take him to client meetings, and my clients hated him because he wasn't really confident. He was overconfident. It was arrogance, which was a cover-up for insecurity, and it turned a lot of people off. So there's got to be that balance of confidence and humility. That's what attracts people to you. Now, in terms of HR, the reality of HR is that in the hierarchy, in the political capital of an organization, they're not at the top. Sales, operations, design, research and development, HR is kind of down near payroll. It's not the place that a lot of people join a company to be on the fast track. There's an interesting article I read in the Harvard Business Review, which if you're a manager or an owner, you've got to read that. It's going to teach you how to think at a higher level. And it talked about these recent Harvard MBA grads that were going into human resources. And it was kind of funny how the whole article was like all their friends that are joining investment banking firms are joking with them, you know, how are you going into HR? But they really see it as a strategic area. Because if you have an HR manager that is strategic, that's the kind of person that you want to deal with. The problem is that some people in HR aren't strategic thinkers. They're linear thinkers. They're not thinking in terms of creatively solving problems. But when you find someone that is a strategic thinker in terms of human resources, and you bond with them, and you've got a relationship with them, and they see your value as a recruiter, and they know that you're not overconfident or arrogant, that you're confident, and you deliver, they're, they're going to think of you first when they have a need. I had a client with a large... Internet, or actually national, publicly held electrical contractor. And I started dealing with him. He was a VP of HR, and this is like the fourth largest electrical contractor in the country. And I started developing a relationship with him. And it got to the point where any time he had a need, 
he would email me or call me and say, call the operations manager. I already let him know you'll be calling him. Take the search and then call me when it's time to talk about the offer. But let me know what's going on in the process. He let me loose. He let me loose in his organization because he trusted me. He was a strategic human resources professional. Those kind of people, I'd say that maybe 24% or 25%, of, you know, one out of four of the HR people really understand their value as a human resources executive. Some of the other folks, they know. They don't have a lot of clout within their organization because of the fact they're working in human resources. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying that that's the culture in corporate America, that HR is at the bottom of the pecking order. So some folks there have to claim their turf, and they have to stake their turf, and they have to say, this is my turf, and I'm in charge, and I'm going to control the process. And some of those folks, there's nothing you can do. You can't control the people. That's why I always say that client control is is it's myth. You know, you can't control the folks. So the attitude in dealing with with HR is balancing your multiple sales objectives with humility, respect, and realism, knowing that the HR person has an agenda. How do you uncover what that is? It's a necessity. HR does have to have that internal system. You have to deal with them a lot of times. So if we... Our first choice, if we're developing a relationship with an organization, and it depends on the type and size of company and what level of search work you're doing, the first choice is to bypass them. And we don't have to do this disrespectfully, but we can, as we're developing a relationship, we want to start at the top and get referrals down. Here's an example. I had a CFO that was moving to Chicago, and I, and I marketed her. She was a high-level performer. And I wanted to develop that as my market. And there were only about 10 companies that were strong enough to handle someone like this. So I marketed her. Now, I'm calling CEOs. It was my reason to see what opportunities are there for her. But I knew that probably we're not going to find a company that has an immediate opening. But I was able to use that, multiple benefits, to open up opportunities with CEOs. So I would talk to presidents and CEOs about this candidate. I left 10 messages. I got four calls back. And some of those clients lasted me several years because of the relationships I built with them. Even though they didn't have a need, they called me back because they assumed that I deal with high-level folks in construction. That was my niche at the time. And I hadn't done most of my search work at that level. Most of it was like mid-level to senior-level stuff. But they called me, back, called me back, and I got to talk with them. And they said, you know, Scott, we have some needs at the mid-level range. Do you deal with that? And I said, yeah, I do. You know, when I've got the time and the availability, and I do have that right now. So they would refer me to the line managers. And then some of them would refer me on to HR after... I developed relationships with multiple line managers, so I was coming in as someone who is already a partner with multiple relationships within the organization. If you can establish multiple relationships in a company and then have the introduction to human resources, especially if you've already made a placement or if you're in the way, on the way to make a placement, now that's a good time to be introduced to someone as a recruiter that they can trust. And that's the principle of social proof. If other people introduce you and they vouch for you, they're saying, we're interviewing some of Scott's candidates. You need to talk with HR. You call HR. Hey, John wanted me to call you. I know we never talked before. Let's say hello. Call me back, and we'll talk about how we can get this candidate on board your company. Uh, that's how you want to come into HR. You want to come into HR when you're already doing stuff with their company. And the way you talk to them, it's respectful. Never, ever talk to someone in a condescending tone, unless they talk to you that way first. You know, someone cops an attitude with you. My own opinion, this is just my own opinion, is to copy the same attitude back with them. We always train people on how to treat us. A lot of recruiters, they let people push them around and treat them as low-level vendors instead of consultants in the placement process. How you think of yourself has a direct correlation on how people treat you. So that's just something to keep in mind. So the best way to come into an organization is get a referral down. If you can't get a referral down, let's say from a CEO, a high-level executive, and you make direct contact to a line manager. You can come in with a referral from one line manager to another. Or if they call you, that's even better. I'm going to be doing a series of rainmaking seminars in Dallas, Houston, New York, and Southern California. Look for that on my website where we're going to talk. It's a one-day seminar limited to just 12 people per location. I'm keeping it at a reasonable cost. But we're going to talk about how you can get inbound calls from prospects. So if someone calls you, that's even better because they automatically assume that you're good. They've already made their mind up to choose you. Now, if you also make direct contact to a line manager, you're actually calling them about a specific candidate. That's going to be enough to get someone to call you back because you've got some immediate value. So that's how you get into an organization. Uh, that's the best way 
to bypass HR is to get involved, get some work done, and then eventually if you have, if you have to talk to them, now you're coming in as someone that already has some clout built up with their organization. The next part, we're going to talk about how do you sell to HR. Let's just say that you're going to have to deal with them. It's a big company and you want to get their business and you've got to sell to them. And I'll tell you this, human resources people and line managers think differently. One's not better than the other. They just have different motives, different agendas, different ways they interpret what their business is, what their business really is, and different buying objectives and criteria. You've got to uncover all that stuff when you talk with them. But let me give you some general, general guidelines. If you have first contact with HR, it's great if you come in. Let's say you're developing us as a brand-new client. You couldn't bypass them, but you've got to call them. Let's just say an internal employee referred you to them. Maybe it's someone that you placed at a previous company that is working there now, and you call them, say, I was talking with so-and-so. I placed him two years ago. I heard he's working there. I was calling to reconnect. He said he loves working there. And he also mentioned that you guys have several openings. Now, you tell your friend, email the HR person, let them know I'm going to be calling. And can you do me a favor, John? Can you tell them that you really enjoyed working with me, that you thought I was a good recruiter? I'd really appreciate that. Now, you're leveraging this introduction. You want to put the odds in your favor. This is one of the things I'm doing with my temp staffing client in uh, Tennessee, is that we're coming in, we're looking at what are those principles and premises that govern success in a sales environment, and we're totally restructuring their protocols of sales based on those things that work. That's the same thing we're doing here. Referrals are the best way to get business, and we're not just doing that. We're leveraging that by having that person that referred us contact HR first to let us know we're going to be calling and to endorse us. That's exactly what you want. The next part, as you deal with this referral, another way is to get an HR friend. If you have a human resource relationship with someone and you really like this person and they like you, ask them this. Who are some colleagues and friends of yours at Sherm that you know have some needs where I should, I should, uh, I should, I should uh, call them up? They all know. They know because they go to the meetings and they complain about recruiters. You know, and, and, they, and if they have, hey, you know what? I know most recruiters are just selfish, smarmy, unctuous, slimy creeps, but I've got one that's really good. I mean, that's what they think of us, I'm pretty sure. I mean, if you go to some of these blogs, you'll see you know, what a lot of the HR folks think of recruiters. And so, I, I, don't, I mean, why can't we all get along? You know what I'm saying? So if you, have got, if you have a good relationship with an HR person, ask them, who are some other friends of yours? that you know from your association that you think I should talk to right now, and have them email them first and, and endorse you. Can you, call, can you call your friend or email her and tell her that you really like working with me? I'd really appreciate that. Sure, I'd be glad to. So another way you can get referred into HR is from the top down, like we talked about, getting to the top down. And then the fourth way, making first contact with them, is actually presenting a candidate, an MPC. Uh, like we talked about before in some of my previous telecom, teleconferences, most placeable candidate. The, the, the thing about this, though, when you present candidates to HR, they're thinking differently than a line manager. So let's talk about the buying motives. How do we uncover these buying motives with human resource folks? The first one is this. Human resources, we've, we've got two different buyers in our, in our industry. We've got human resources and we've got line managers. They both have different agendas. They think differently about their business. Their worlds are totally different. Their outcomes are different. They have different buying motives. For human resources, they're looking at three things. They're looking at how quickly can you fill the position, what are the skills that this person has, and what's the cost. So speed, skills, and cost. Those are the three things that they're usually looking for. When you're dealing with a line manager, they're looking at What's the return on the investment? If I pay you a fee, what do I have to show for it? They're looking at what's this value, both now and in the future, of this employee. If we hire this someone, if we hire this guy, he's got some good mechanical design skills. I think that because of his previous leadership experience, he might be someone that we can groom and put in our leadership development program for the next level of management. They're thinking down the road. They're looking at what's, what's the value. Human resources is what are the skills. Do they have these skills and do they have that skills? That's how they, that's how they make decisions, criteria. And I'm speaking in general terms and, general, and generalities here. You know, there's always going to be uh, aberrations of all this, but this is, this is generally what's true. Line managers look at the return on the investment, the value of the employee, and what are the problems that this person is going to solve? What are the problems 
that if I have in my company, they're going to be able to solve. Line managers also look at, is this going to be a low-risk decision for me to hire this person? That's what they're looking at. So you've got two different types of buyers in our industry. You have to talk to both of them differently. Let's talk about working with human resources. Let's just say you've got to work with them. You can't go around them. You've got to work with them. You want to develop an advocate. And it starts with your attitude, an attitude of service, humility, and confidence, but also having boundaries and self-respect especially when it comes to negotiating your fees. And what I found is that most HR folks don't have the authority to raise fees. I had one HR person I was talking to in Chicago, a big construction company, and she said, we only pay 20%. And that's a big company. And my fees are 30. So I'm thinking, you know, we're pretty far apart. I said, 20%. And, I, and this is what I told her. I, I, well, let, me, let me back up first. I had a client that was an executive that told me our fees are you know, 20 to 25 percent. I, I said, our fees are 30. And he said, well, he's never paid more than a 25 percent fee. And this is what I told him. I asked him a series of leading questions. I said, well, Bob, let me ask you, you're working with multiple search firms, right? Yes. Do you think some of those firms you have are working with other contractors? Yes. Do you think they might even be working at a higher fee? Because a lot of the firms work at 30 percent. Do you think that's a possibility? Well, yeah, absolutely. Say, so, well, here's the situation. Let's say you're a recruiter. You've got a candidate that's a star. You've got three clients. One pays 20, one pays 25, and one pays 30. Who are you going to call first? And he said, you know what? I see your point. That makes a lot of sense. And fees 30%. I, I, did, I had that same conversation with an HR person at a big company. And I told him, you know, our fees are 20%. And I said, well, do you think you're working with other recruiters? You know, you're working with other recruiters, right? Yes. Are they working with other firms, do you think? Yes. Do you think they might even be working at higher fees, like 25 or 30%? Yes. So if I'm a recruiter and I've got you, 20%, another firm 25, and another firm 30, and if I present a star performer, who do you think I'm going to call first? And it was silence. She didn't want to answer me. And I said, I'm going to call the 30% firm first, right? And this is what her response was. <laughs> that, was what, that, was all, that was all she said. Huh. <laughs> she grunted at me because she couldn't do anything about that. They look at cost. Because they have a budget. They have a finite budget. They'll pay fees, but we have a finite budget. And a lot of times, depending on who you're talking to, they're just not going to be able to raise the fees. Now, some things I have done with mid-level and small firms, if I know, I know, I know that the line manager I'm talking to has authority to raise fees and to cut his own deals, and, you know, we'll, we'll just apologize to HR later, I know that if I tell him I actually prefer to deal with, human, with, 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 with you instead of human resources. And he says, why is that? He says, well, from my experience, the people that I'm going to present to you, if they know that I'm going to have to put them in line at HR with everybody else, they're probably going to back out. Because the people I present to you aren't the ones I'm just going to download off of the job board, attach an invoice to, and say, here's your star. I'm going to go out and actively recruit passive candidates that aren't looking. And if I say, you've got to stand in line at the HR office, like everybody else, they're probably going to back out because they're not actually looking. So my recommendation, Jim, is for you and I to deal directly with each other on this. It makes your position seem that much more important to the candidate that I'm talking to because they're making judgment calls one small step at a time. And if all of a sudden I say, you're a commodity just like everybody else, go to the HR department, they're going to say, ah, you know what, ah, it's okay, I'm not interested. So what do you think? It's like, yeah, I see your point. Whenever you, whenever you explain something to someone, you've always got to look at it from their perspective. That's all that counts. What you think doesn't matter. You've always got to show them how it's going to solve their problem on a personal and an emotional level. Now, let's just say you're stuck at HR. And, nope, our policy is, and some firms have it, some organizations have that. They say, if you make a placement with any other manager except HR, we will not pay your fee. Now, I'm not a lawyer. But I don't know if I'm going to try to fight that. I'm probably going to find another client, depending on the strength of the market. Or I'm going to see if I can deal with them and get them to comply. So here we go. 
let's look at how do we get HR to work with us. We want to develop them as an advocate. We want them to know that we're on their side. So you start by asking questions. You ask questions. And one of the questions you can ask them is this. Let's just say you're talking with a guy named Bob. He's a director of HR. He's been there for two years. He worked in HR in another company and HR in another company before that. So he's a career HR guy. So, Bob, let me ask you. You're probably working with a lot of search firms now, right? Yeah, we're working with a few. We're trying to pick and choose which ones we want to work with. So if you're going to work with a search firm, what's important to you? What What's important to you in the type of firm that you would feel real comfortable working with in placing people and representing your company? And I've asked that question both to line managers and HR guys, and some of the good ones, the HR folks, they'll say things like, I want to work with a search firm that has a clear, defined protocol of how they recruit and what their process is to qualify the candidates and help us onboard them effectively, and someone that's going to follow up with them to make sure that the candidate's happy after we place them here on board and after we pay the search for marquee. Wow. Now, that is what you communicate to. When you tell them about your firm, you say, well, well Bob, let me tell you about our process and our protocols and how we're able to follow up with candidates. And, you, and that's what you focus on. Whenever you ask someone, what's important to you? How does that person feel? Two things. They're going to feel like, well, I think I'm actually getting somewhere with this person. And the second thing is, I, I feel important. I feel important. When we ask questions of people about what do they think, they feel validated. If you ever want to, I mean, this is really empathy. Empathy is one of the most powerful concepts out there because you're not looking down on someone. The moment you look down on someone, and I know this from my own experience, they're going to shut you out because that's a form of judgment. When we make that kind of judgment, it's going to shut people out. And this is my life struggle, my ego. You know, I mean, so I've come up with mental contests in my head that I, that, I, that I think about to help keep my stinking ego in check. I see a homeless person, and there's a lot of them where I live in Asheville. And as soon as I see one, or someone that's just on the street, I say, you know what? I'm not better than that person. I, I actually tell myself that. I actually tell myself, I'm not better than that person. I just made different decisions. He and I are on the same level. I just had a mommy and daddy that loved me and told me that every day, and I made different decisions. And that's it. When you see yourself as on the same level as other people, you draw them to you. When you and here's the flip side. When you're talking to a CEO, I remember a time I, I had a chance. I got the cell number of the CEO of Fleur Daniel. I called him up. We had a good 20-minute call because I see him as a peer. We're a peer. And you know what? People at that level, that's what they want. They want someone that's going to have the pushback, that's not just going to be a yes man, yes sir, no sir, oh, that's a great idea, sir. They're like, they're gonna, they want someone that says, you know what, I think what you're telling me is good, but this is what I'd recommend that will help make that better. That's what they're looking for. So when you talk to HR people, you've got to see yourself, not as someone looking down on them, but someone that has empathy, understanding. There's a crisis of understanding in our society. I mean, if we, if we did a survey, how many people feel completely understood in every area of their life, nobody would raise their hands. Nobody would say, yes, I feel understood in every area of my life. So when you develop that empathy with someone, it bonds you to them. Remember, you're not selling to a company, you're selling to a person. People make decisions based on emotion, not intellect. They like to say, I'm making an intellectual decision, but it's emotional. So you ask them questions. What's important to you? If you're going to work with a search firm, what's important to you in choosing the search firm you'd want to work with? I learned that question from Gene Rice and Jeff Cohen. I went to a seminar like eight years ago, and it changed my life. Two, two, two great guys. Another question you can ask HR folks. Tell me about your internal hiring process. Another question is, what would be the expectations you would have of the search firm? How often do you communicate with the search firm in the process? You build a relationship, and what you're trying to do, the ultimate outcome of working with HR is to get them to trust you and to like you. And when you have that trust and that, that friendship there, then you can start getting contact with line managers. If, you, if they tell you no, no, you know, we've never worked with you before, we'll give you the search, but you've got to deal with me. Play the little game. Okay, just play it. You Remember, relationships. I mean, this is a whole, this is a secret of recruiting, everybody. Relationships are like bank accounts. You want to make more deposits than withdrawals. And any time you talk to someone, you want to put a deposit in that emotional bank account. So when you have enough of a deposit, now you can make a withdrawal. You've got the candidates going forward in the interview process. They accepted the offer. They got another search. You know what, Bob? I was thinking something that might be helpful 
to help you out in terms of accelerating this process is for you, me, and Jerry, the VP, to be able to have a, tele, uh, uh, you know, a three-way call, to be able to get to know each other. Because you want the HR person to know that I want to make you look like a hero. Because when you're talking to an HR person, if you ask them, what are the pressures you're feeling at your job? They're going to say, I've got to stay within my budget, and I've got to get Jerry, the VP, off my back. He's on my freaking back every day about this position not being open. When you sell your services, that's what you focus on. Let me show you how I can solve that problem. I don't know if I can help the budget issue, but I can definitely get Jerry off your back, and I'll be able to do it quickly because of our three-step process in our industry niche or whatever. So when you have contact with that line manager, of course, we all know, that's the way to minimize the risk. Because remember, I remember the very first time I did this in kindergarten, we played telephone. You've got all the kids that line up. One kid at the beginning says something like, we're going to go ride, ride roller coasters this weekend in Charlotte. And by the time it gets to the, the last kid, it's, I live in an igloo in Canada. I mean, that's, that's what happens because it gets filtered through that. And so you can explain that to the HR person. One of the things I think might help accelerate this process is for me and you and Jerry to be able to communicate. And if you feel comfortable, for me to talk with Jerry directly just because I can hear from him firsthand what he's looking for because I know his language. I have lots of clients just like him. I can even ask him questions to get to what he's really looking for because, Bob, you and I, you and I both know these line managers, they think they know what they're looking for, but as they go along, then they kind of finally figure it out. If I have access to him, I can ask him questions because I'm trained to do that to find out what he's really looking for, and then I'll communicate all that stuff to you. I'll definitely keep you in the loop. My job is to get Jerry off your back and make you look like a hero. You've got a friend for life if you can communicate that way. That's why the attitude, surprisingly, isn't like, huh, I'm a recruiter and you're HR. It's no, hey, I can make you look like a hero. Let's work together to solve this problem. That's how you do it, folks. So I'm going to go ahead and start answering these uh, questions. And this is a longer call. I apologize. Uh, if you've got to go, you can go ahead and hang up. And later today, this recording will be on that same link that you went to to get the phone number. So we've got a call. When marketing hospitals, they always send you to HR for the jobs, nursing, pharmacy, CFO, lab, radiology, and it is a dead end. Or they have a list of preferred vendors and it is already filled. What would your approach be? I would see if I could call in with some sort of candidate that I know they're looking for, and I would call the line manager. So if, I'm, if I have a nurse, I would call the director of nursing, and she'll say, you've got to talk to HR. Say, I understand that, but what I'd like to do is have you kind of escort me to that office over the phone. I'd like for you to hold my hand and introduce me to them, because you and I both know they've got a lot of stuff going on, and they're just humans. They make mistakes, and this important person might slip through the cracks, and I'd hate to see that happen to you. So always, if you're dealing with HR, have an internal advocate help lay the red carpet out for you so that when you show up in their office, when you make the call, they know who you are, they're expecting it, and they have someone internally that's applying some pressure to them to talk to you. Use that political capital that's within that client's organization to get HR to take action. And do it in a way that, that everybody benefits. Because one, one of your core values as a recruiter should be a mutual satisfaction of needs. Everybody in the process should walk away feeling really good about this. HR, the line manager, the candidate, and you. Next question. How do you get beyond senior HR, the senior HR gatekeeper? How do you help them make decisions for themselves and the business? Find it even more difficult today than ever for HR people to make a decision or even know what's going on in their own organizations. It's quite frustrating. As a result, having been avoiding HR departments, Senior, H, uh, senior HR management and HR people all together find that they're isolating themselves even more than ever before. There's a reason why they're doing that. Maybe they feel threatened by other recruiters. Maybe they feel like you are not making them look good. So if you can get in front of someone where you have to deal with that HR person, that's the only way you're going to get the business, find a way to talk to them so it's peer-to-peer. -peer. I would do this. I would find out, are they members of any association? I would find out, are they going to be attending a certain meeting? Maybe you can say, hey, I saw that you're with this company. That's a company I'm interested in working with. Are you going to go to this meeting? I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to take you out and have, uh, have lunch with you sometime and meet with you face-to-face. -face. I would focus with them on building the relationship and ask them questions. Say, 
what are some of the frustrations you have in terms of hiring people within your own organization? I would even do this. Say, I'm going to be writing a blog post uh, or I'm going to be writing an article for the, the Sherman Association or the, the American Healthcare Association, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to do, and then say, I'd like to interview you on the top three frustrations of human resource professionals in uh, healthcare. And I'd like to see what your thoughts are about that. You know, that's, that's one way to get people to call you back. Another question. Do most HR directors and managers view staffing agency salespeople as friend or foe? If so, why? That's good. I think, I, I think the question is, do they view us as enemies? And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them had a bad taste in their mouth of dealing with recruiters. Because in our industry, you know, there are some people that just aren't really the ones you want to have doing our business. But, hey, they make you look that much better. So if you talk to someone and they say, I had a bad problem in dealing with the recruiter once before, I wouldn't overcome that. I would say, I would say, you know what, I totally understand. And that's one of the things that separates our firms from everybody else. And you know what, that's exactly why you should work with us, because of our core values. Let me share with those what you are. Or you can say, you know, I had a client that told me the exact same thing, and now they're our best client. Some of the things I joke about, if I'm talking with a guy, another guy, and he tells me that, and I've got some rapport with him, I'll say something like, you know, I had a bad dating experience in college once, but I didn't give up on women. You know, I just knew that that was just one bad experience, and I knew that there are other relationships out there that would be a lot better. Next question, how do you get HR off their preferred agency list so that they will deal with us local, little local guys instead of just a handful of multinationals? I don't know if I could answer that. I don't know if you can. The only way you can do that is to deal with people at the decision-making level, and it's probably not going to be HR or it might be the senior VP of HR. So I would ask yourself this, who are those organizations that might be able to refer you into that? Maybe it's a candidate that works within that company. Maybe they're a member of a trade association. Maybe you have, maybe you can get access to the CEO through another search. If you have a high-level candidate, that's a great reason to call a CEO, and he might refer you down to HR. I think that's the only way you're going to do that. I wouldn't spend a lot of time doing that because once the list is built, it's almost like you know getting an aircraft carrier to turn on a dime. It just is so impossible. It might be better to find another client. Next question: How do you get around voicemail and actually get someone to return a phone call or an email instead of totally ignoring you? Uh, there's two ways you can do that. One of them is to be very vague. When you're calling decision makers, that doesn't work too well unless you can make it compelling. Like, I've got some information that relates to one of your direct competitors that I think you might be interested in hearing about. Or if you have a candidate that can solve one of their immediate problems. So let's just say, if, I, if you see on their website they have a certain candidate that might be a possible fit, leave a message like this. I came across a candidate. I know you're looking. I see it on your site. This candidate and then go to tell them three measurements. What are three stellar reasons why they should talk to this person? Don't give your opinion. Give a quantifi quantifiable fact. And then say this, I've got this candidate in front of two other companies. Of course, it has to be true. So let's say you present the candidate to other firms. I've got this candidate in front of two other organizations, and they're going to be interviewing him next week. If you're interested, please call me back. If I don't hear from you by Friday at noon, I'll assume there's no interest. So that way, you're using the principle of scarcity to get someone to take action. So next question, how do you get these HR types to actually send you a job order without having to pester them or endlessly pitch candidates? They do hire. They do use agencies. They send out job orders. How can I get them to give me a chance too instead of being totally ignored? That means that they don't have a reason to talk to you. It means that they're already happy with you or, excuse me, with, their, with your competitors and not you. So what you have to do is open up the door a little bit and then you can let your wonderful, magical personality get all the business from them eventually. I learned this when I was selling long distance. I sold long distance back in 1995 when we were selling it for like 25 cents a minute, if you can believe that. And I would call up companies and they'd say, we're using AT&T, we already have a contract with them. And I'd say, I have something that can complement what you're doing with them. They're a great company, I can complement what you're doing with them. What do you mean? Well, I'd have to show you. It's a visual thing. And I'd get a sales appointment and I'd show them, we've got a calling card system that can track where your sales reps are going and make sure that they're only making business calls, whatever. Whatever it was, I could get one small piece of business from them. As soon as they're a client on one area, now you can go back and resell them. So I would see if I could just get one interview, say, just call them up. Say, you're one of the top three companies that I'm interested in working with. And I have a candidate that I think might be able to solve one of your problems. I know you're probably working with other recruiters. I know that nobody else has talked with this candidate. This candidate, trust me, I've known him for several years. Uh, this is what I think about this person, and, and I think you should call me back. If you can get in there with just a little bit, 
that's going to be why they're going to call you back. Now, there has to be a reason why they're going to call you back. We've got one time for one more question, and, and this is actually a 45-minute call. I didn't know I was going to speak with this long. I didn't know I knew this much about HR. So we won't be able to do the audio portion of that just in terms of time. But like I said, come back to this link, and you'll be able to see on the same link to get this, this recording and save it, and you can listen to it. Uh, last question. I've had a good client for several years. The previous internal recruiter let me work on just about every opening the company had. However, the new recruiter views recruiters as competition and wants to do it all herself. Hiring managers, including vice presidents in this company, seem to have no authority over HR. I've been instructed by a VP to contact this lady about working on a position in his department. However, when I spoke with the internal recruiter, she said she was going to fill the position herself. I told that to the hiring manager, and he said it was up to the internal recruiter on whether or not she wanted to use agencies. I know I can help this client. Any ideas on how to handle these situations? That's tough. That's someone that is trying to build political capital in the, within the organization, and they do see you as a threat. I would, if you live locally, I would schedule a meeting because when you have a personal relationship with someone, that's going to open them up. If you have a candidate that is working with you exclusively, tell that recruiter that. Say, listen, you know, I don't care if you tell the line manager that I've placed this person or if you found them. I really don't care about that. All I care about is getting this person on board with a good company and you're a good organization. I really think that you would look like a hero if you could get this person on board. You can claim it as your own. I really don't care about that. I just want to make sure I can place this person, and if it's with, and it's with a good company like you. That, that's how I would communicate to them. Communicate to them in terms of what their buying motives are. I would even ask that person. I'd say, you know, you say you want to do this on your own. You know, why is that exactly? Well, I want to save on the fees. Well, you know, that's, that's how they're making a decision. Say, well, if you, do you have a budget to pay search fees? Well, yes, I do. Say, so you want to be very selective about that, correct? Yes, I do. Well, this is probably one time it might make sense to consider investing part of that budget into search fees. And you can even take credit for it. That's not something I'm really interested in. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope it gave you some value. Tune in next time after Thanksgiving for podcast episode number seven, where we look at some of the upcoming trends for 2010 and what you need to do to be ready for those. If you're interested in more training that I have on my website, go to greatrecruitertraining.com, click on the coaching club link and take the video tour and it'll show you what you get as a member. If it's not the right time for it, if you don't have the budget for it, take advantage of the free downloads underneath the free download section, the free videos in the free video section, and also all the articles that I post on my site. My site is greatrecruitertraining.com, and my name is Scott Love, and thanks for listening. Now, get back on the phone. <laughs>